What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. All right, welcome everyone. Today's guest has been immersed in the hospitality industry since he was 13 years old. He's trained in the dining rooms of the Tribeca Grill, Spago, and Tabla, and open restaurants at the Museum of Modern Art. He's the author of many books, including a new one coming out, or which would have just come out on the 25th, called Unreasonable Hospitality. Lazy, ladies and gentlemen, one of my heroes and a purveyor of incredible experiences for me personally, Mr. Will Gadara. Welcome, Will. Hey, thank you so much, man. I'm really, really happy to be here. So I just want to go into a time machine. I actually went through my old emails and I found this. And I think that this is really going to be a great point of departure. Um, so for all those the restaurants that I mentioned before and everything that you've done and all the ones that I omitted, um, like I just remember having one of the most incredible meal experiences at 11 Madison Park which it involved, you know, remember how they do the um, the card trick at the end? Yeah, I loved the card trick. Well, the coolest thing is I was with three friends, or my wife and two friends, and we wound up playing hearts or something with the deck of cards until <laughs> closing time. And it was like, I think it was a six hour dinner, but it felt like no time. And I just felt so warm and cared for. And it was incredible, which I know goes, like you, you definitely highlight and speak about throughout on, Unreasonable Hospitality, the book coming out. Um, and that was just a magnificent experience. But I think what my office used to be right across the street from the Nomad, um, from the Nomad on Broadway and 26th. And I remember I wrote you this email after attending your welcome conference in 2018, I think, where it was basically, I said, um, I know we never connected, or it was so great to meet you at the welcome conference conference i but i never got to tell you about an amazing experience i just had at the nomad library i haven't been in a while too much but i Brittany was there who I, was a regular and she said oh how have your travels been and i said you know i was going to denver i, I i've been traveling a lot i'm going to denver so she brought over this woman skylar who's from denver was oh. working at the library bar skylar brought me a handwritten card of things to do in denver <laughs> and and i remember writing to you just like, I just had to share it with you. And I was just awestruck. And I, I but I, I, as I read your book and just knowing you and having experienced all these things, it's, I think it's those little moments that are the most priceless. And I just wanted to get your, your feeling. I mean, you said it, it made your day and lit up your heart. So well, how does that no, tie in? Oh. Yeah. I want, I want to say two things real quick, because first you talk about playing hearts and um, the, the card trick I came up with that idea when I was playing a game of cribbage. Um, do you know, I'm not sure if you know the game. Oh yeah, it's a very um, Massachusetts-y New England game. Yeah, yeah. And, and my dad is from New England and we grew up playing cribbage and I was playing cribbage and drinking a bottle of wine. And I was like, man, like why can't fine dining meals include a game? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if our guests could play a game when they were with us? And 
the card trick itself wasn't a game, but the fact that you guys ended up playing hearts until the, the wee hours is actually the absolute fulfillment of how that idea came to pass in the beginning. So that brings me joy. I, I think the reason why, and Brittany, by the way, was one of my favorites at Nomad, and so it's fun to hear you mention her name. But yeah, the reason that that filled my heart to the extent that it did was Listen, it's, it's one thing to believe in the idea of going above and beyond for the people that you work with and the people that you serve. The, the idea that you pick up on these little cues that give you an opening to do something that will just make them feel great. It's another thing entirely and something that I believe is actually much more fulfilling when you can create a culture within your organization where other people become addicted to doing those things for people as well. And so there, there's nothing that makes me happier than when I hear from someone who's been to one of my places that something like that happened to them and I had absolutely nothing to do with it because it means that the idea has fully taken root within the organization. And so um, I just think it's the best. I, for me, there is nothing more energizing than seeing the look of complete joy on someone's face when they receive a gift I am responsible for giving them, except hearing that people on my team have grown accustomed to doing it as well. Well, I think that also comes into the idea of values, culture, attraction, and why. Like, why do we all do these things? Because Brittany didn't just appear there one day she was attracted to the nomad bar i don't really know her very well except from just interactions there and she, you know she always made me feel amazing but i think that all comes from values and culture and why and if you're really living in that place and and living and breathing your why you attract these people and you find these people and you you hire you fire you retain you nurture all these people that are you know you're aligned with culturally um and it's interesting because uh, first of all simon sinek that whole uh ted talk on starting with why i just remember for myself trying to figure out my why and i remember writing down everything going through his exercises and workbook and it was staring me in the face mm. and i couldn't see it and it took other people to be like oh you don't see this it's all here you love the journey and what lights me up more than anything else is when I can make sure that everyone feels cared for on their journey. It happens to be opening hotels, but what when I can shorten other people's journey, like that's my nirvana, right? Mm. So how, you, you know, saying that you've worked in restaurants since you were 13, how did you find your why? Did you always know it? Did you explore? Like, what was your process in, in getting to your why to where you are now and starting all the, the welcome conference and doing all these incredible restaurants and books? Like, was it hard for you to find your why, even though it was looking at you, or did it just come out of you? No, it, it wasn't. I, I'm very lucky in the sense that for me, it was never a journey. I kind of always knew what I wanted to do for, for a variety of reasons. I grew up in the restaurant business. My dad was a restaurateur. He was my hero growing up. I honestly would have done whatever it was that he was doing. It just so happened that the thing he was doing ended up being something that I fell in love with. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to be like him um, first and foremost. Um, and so I used to go to restaurants with him all the time because, you know, 
your dad's in the restaurant business, the only way to spend too much time with him is to go to work with him. Um, and I was always just obsessed with the magic that I felt in those restaurants. The idea that when you're in a great dining room being served delicious food with graciousness, the world can be put on pause. I mean, you talk about that meal at 11 Madison being six hours and it probably didn't feel like that at all. The time probably flew by because we created the conditions where you and the people you were with could connect. We created a little magical world that you could lose yourself in. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, my mom, when you read the book and I share this story in the, in the beginning of it, my mom got, got pretty sick when I was a kid and ended up being a quadriplegic. And um, what I don't talk about in the book is that my dad, who always wanted to make sure that that didn't have too much of an adverse impact on my life and didn't threaten my confidence during those formative years when kids are trying to find their confidence, uh, moved our, our house to one that was just a few blocks away from my school. Because since I didn't have a mom that could drive me to my friend's places to, for play dates or, or whatever you called them, he wanted to have the house that was so centrally located that the play dates happened at our place. So I didn't need to worry about getting rides to and from places. And, and so since I've been a little kid, everyone always came to my house to hang out. And I just always loved hosting people. A friend of mine asked me a couple of years ago, he said, are you in the restaurant business or the hospitality business? And it was the first time anyone had asked me that question directly. And yet somehow the answer was so obvious, which is, no, I'm in the hospitality business. I've just been doing it through restaurants. Um, it has always brought me joy to create spaces where people can come together. I did it growing up as a kid. My house at college was the, the house that everyone got together in, um, and the restaurants I've, I've built since then have, have hopefully served that purpose for as many people as possible. I've always just loved it. Well, that's, it's reassuring. And again, for me, I guess maybe I'm, I'm just missed the obvious, but what just resonated with me that you said is, okay, are you in the restaurant business? No, I'm in the hospitality business, right? I think about what I do furnishing hotels. I don't, it's like, it, okay, yeah, it's furniture, but it's really a vehicle for making other people feel cared for. Yeah. And taken care of. And I, I think that that really resonates with me the most. And that was the hard thing to get my head around of really just like kind of peeling back the onion and seeing the, seeing what the why is. Um, I, you also kick off your book with this idea of the hospitality economy, mm -hmm. right? Welcome to the hospital. So in all these conversations I've been having, m many of the guests are interior designers who design restaurants, hotels, bars, resorts. And what's interesting, many of them come from these really large multidisciplinary firms, the designers do, and they're getting pulled into meetings about aviation. They're getting pulled into meetings of workplace. They're getting pulled into meetings of all these other spaces that are not hospitality, but every single business that, or client that these bigger firms are working on, they're bringing in the hospitality designers to look through each project with a hospitality lens. So even though this podcast is called Defining Hospitality as well, as we grow every week, which is also so humbling, I think it's because the idea of hospitality 
is transferable to every industry, every job, every human interaction. So walk our walk our listeners to through what you mean by the hospitality economy. So America used to be a manufacturing economy for most of our history. Now we're a service economy and dramatically so more than three quarters of our GDP globally, it, it's, it's more than 65% is driven by service industries. Um, my whole thesis, the thing that I'm trying to encourage is to stop thinking that the hospitality industry is just restaurants and hotels and cruise lines. Because whether you're in financial services or construction or insurance or design or real estate or retail, you do the same thing for a living that I do. You're in the business of serving other people. And given where we're at, given what's just transpired over the last three years, the thing that people are craving now more than ever is connection. And the secret ingredient when it comes to connection is hospitality. I believe that everyone in every business can make the choice to be in the hospitality industry. And I believe that when you really look at what people want and need, making good products is no longer enough. Serving them efficiently is no longer enough. It's now how we make people feel, those that we work with and all those that we serve, that matters most of all. And I really do believe that we're on the precipice of becoming a hospitality economy because all the companies that choose to prioritize that connection, how they make people feel, those are the companies that will quickly find themselves separated from the pack. I totally agree. And again, I want to loop back into that idea of culture and values, right? Because if we if we go back to Brittany, Brittany didn't just appear there, right? You had a culture and values that were, you know, oozing through all of the organizations that you've been in. How do you go about creating and scaling that culture so that it, not just it's how you treat your guests, but it's how you treat everyone and how you attract everyone to be in your tribe. What, what are, like, how do you actually, how have you done that in your experience? Well, Words matter. I, I think that any organization that's not taking the time to thoughtfully articulate their core values and their non-negotiables, put words to their isms, figure out the phrases or ideas that express who they want to be in the world um, is missing out on an opportunity. But just articulating those things and putting words to paper isn't enough, then you need to say it over and over and over again. One of the things I talk about in the book is the idea that 30 minutes a day can transform a culture. And what that is driven by is the pre-service meetings that we have in restaurants, where every day for 30 minutes, right before we open our doors, we have a team meeting. And that's not unique in the restaurant industry. Almost every restaurant does some version of that, but many of them, that maybe while people are having family meal and they're just going to go over what dishes have changed and maybe a new step of service and when health insurance enrollment starts. But the, the great ones are those that recognize that that 30 minutes is a precious resource and something that you should never waste. Because inevitably, what is talked about 
in a culture is what is embodied. And if every day over and over and over again, you talk about the things you stand for, the things that you believe in, the, the ideas that you want to bring to life, the way that you want to make people feel, the people that you work alongside, if they are the right people for your organization, they will get on board and they will embody those ideas more and more and more. And so, yeah, it's finding the words to express what you want to be and then talking about those things as often as possible with passion and enthusiasm because passion is contagious. I, I completely agree. And to hear you say, you know, it's more than just words on a piece of paper. Um, I've created a bunch of businesses within our, within the hospitality industry, one of which was in the pandemic, building cultures of safety at hotels, right? So for mostly their frontline staff, so housekeepers, back of house. But what was crazy is I would, I would go into some of these properties and they would have the poster of what their values are people first blah 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 and you go into the the employee break room mm. and it was like it was like the the worst of a subway station you could imagine yeah. right and it's like how can you have these values up on a on a wall and then you're really treating your own people this way it just there was such a disconnect um and another thing that's resonating with me is that on that pre-service meeting you said we do these daily huddles every day where it's like, what's up? What are the metrics? Where are we stuck? And then we share a core value story about someone else on the team. And our core mm -hmm. values are caring. We adapt and improve. We're tenacious. We're organized. And we say what we mean and we do what we say. Every company has their own values. And from what I've found is all the companies, my friends who have companies, those values come from the best examples of their leaders and frontline employees. And they're just... I think that the really hard part is many companies don't live and breathe by the tells about it. It's not, you have to almost create a lexicon, like you were saying, right. Where it's like, yeah. it, it's a code that we all live by. Well, yeah. And, 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 and doing that and throwing it up on the wall next to the, the time clock. If, if all you're trying to do is check a box, I can guarantee you it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Um, a culture is a living, breathing thing. It needs to be tended to and fed and watered and nurtured. Um, it's not something that you can ever check off your list. If, if you create a great culture and then you don't pay attention to it, it's not going to be a great culture for very long. And so I love what you talk I mean, your daily huddles are exactly what I'm talking about. And I love the grace note at the end. Not only reinforcing the culture by getting people to talk about a way in which they saw life breathed into it but doing so in a way where they're given the opportunity to affirm other people on the team is is, is a win-win totally and then we'll even play games where if some core values aren't being used we'll say you know what this one hasn't been used in a while let's for this week let's just tell stories or shout outs about this value mm -hmm. sometimes to help people get used to having uncomfortable conversations, we'll talk about a core value fall, fall down so that it can, you know, everyone gets used to giving feedback in alignment with our values. So as I think about values and I think about my experience of you through the restaurants I've been at, but also through the welcome conference, I think one of your values, although I don't know if this is written on a wall anywhere, is impacting others. 
Mm -hmm. right? In some, in some facets, because you've impacted me positively. And a lot of my friends, whether you know it or not, you've had an impact. It's like throwing a a pebble into a pond, right? There's this ripple effect. So if you think about impact and kind of how I felt walking, how I, I like going to that welcome conference, I literally felt like I was walking on a cloud, right? You impacted me positively. The guests that you had, the speakers made me think differently. If you think about um, unreasonable hospitality, I gave you, if, if I give you a magic wand right now, this book is publishing um, on the 25th. Um, if I gave you a magic wand, what would be the lasting impact that you would like to have the, or the most resounding impact that this book could have out there? It's a good question. I think that the greatest impact would be that in 10 years, all the ideas in the book, in 10 years, they won't be that unreasonable anymore. In 10 years, the ideas that I'm put forward, that I'm putting forward would be considered reasonable hospitality and we'd have the ability to shift into a whole new gear again. My, my hope for this book is, I mean, you look across disciplines in every industry and the people that are successful what you'll see they all have in common is that they are unreasonable in their pursuit of the thing that they do. Whether it's in the world of design, finding the perfect fabric for the perfect chair that sits in the corner of that room, that a detail that so few people will actually notice, but because they're unreasonable in their pursuit of greatness, they do whatever it takes to get every single detail to be just right. My hope is that everyone recognizes the amazing power of being just as unreasonable about how they make people feel along the way. Mm. That rather than just pushing the envelope of excellence, they choose to push the envelope of hospitality with as much relentlessness. Understanding that in doing so, the ROI might be harder to measure, but that doesn't mean it matters less. In fact, I believe it matters more. Gestures like that embodying these ideas, I, I, I've seen it through my experience, make a business more profitable, but perhaps more importantly, they make the experience of running that business or for the many people that work at that business, so much more rewarding and fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, the greatest impact would be these ideas, which right now are not embodied by, by too, too many people and therefore are innovative become the norm. As you were saying that I wrote down on my piece of paper here, like living with supreme intentionality. Hmm. Right. And you, for you, you're saying like, an uncompromising supreme intentionality, right? Because it really, if you're really that intentional about that little fabric on the chair that's in the corner that maybe not everyone's there, you're really sticking to a story and you're telling a story throughout whatever you're trying to convey. And I love that. Well, supreme and like you think about it in the, and by the way, I love that too. And intention is, is one of the more pervasive themes throughout the entire book. Like you think about hotels, you think about the design of the hotels, the, the army of unreasonable people that come together to make one of those happen, right? It's the, mm. 
is truly an army that is required to build a great hotel. And every single person, whether it's the graphic designer or the interior designer or the developer or the, you know, like so many people have to show complete uh, focus, intention. They have to be completely unreasonable to make some of these projects happen in the first place. And then so many people forget what the point of a hotel is, which is just to bring people together, to connect with other people, to give them a space to feel loved and cared for, a place to lay their head down at the end of the night and feel safe. And they put so much energy into creating the thing and then not nearly as much energy into investing in the people that breathe life into it. I agree. And also going with the idea of that being unreasonable about things, there's like, there's kind of a scale, right? You And I'm sure you see it in restaurants. I see it with architects and designers, these uncompromising visionaries who will not sacrifice anything and leave a lot in their wake, right? So they could, they can leave a, a trail of despair in their wake, right? But they're, they get their, they achieve their vision. But then on the other side, like there's, a, I think there's a balance between being unreasonable about what you want, but not leaving a trail of dust and tears behind you. How do you know that? Well, the beautiful thing is when it comes to being unreasonable about how you make people feel, if you're leaving a trail, it's just of people that feel great. <laughs> Right. Like, totally. totally. I, I just don't think of, I can't think of anything that is a more virtuous thing to be unreasonable about. Um, one, one chapter I did not get to read yet is chapter 15. And I have a feeling I know what it's about and I want to tie it into a current event. It's uh, the best offense is offense. Hmm. So I, I, and as I'm saying, I don't know, I assume the chat, I, I really wish I would have read it, but um literally the book hasn't even come out yet um but it makes me think of james corden which he was just at um balthazar one of my other favorite restaurants and apparently he was being unreasonable but just this morning i read that keith mcnally unbanned him and let him back because he he called keith and apologized um and so in the in what i do sometimes the the projects that soak that shit the bed, so to speak, are also the tremendous opportunities to make everything right and go that extra mile and make everyone feel cared for. So I guess this is my roundabout way of asking you, what's what do you mean by the best offense is offense? Well, that chapter is about in the face of adversity when business was not great not focusing on cutting, 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 but focusing on investing, 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 not just money because we didn't have a ton of money to invest, but creativity, ingenuity, like how do you stay in the offense to get through challenging times as opposed to being on your back foot the entire time. I will say, it's funny, I just read about the James Corden, Keith McNally thing this morning. Um, and what it made me think about were two things. I, I talked about this in the book and it was the theme of, of one of the welcome conference years being right. And what is the relevancy of being right within a hospitality exchange? And, and we talked about that because on one side you hear people saying the customer is always right. And then on the other side, 
there are these restaurants that the chef is building as like a temple to their cuisine. And if you ask for some salt because you want the dish to be a little saltier, they look at you like you've just committed high treason. In one case, the restaurant is right. In the other case, the customer's always right. And uh, the whole thesis of the conference was, hey, listen, restaurants are about connection. Connection is about relationships. Relationships are a two-way street. If either side is focusing on being right, then you're not going to get very far. And I don't know what's real and what's not with the whole James Court, Keith McNally thing, but like the idea that when people are attacked or shamed, um, human nature has it that the natural tendency would be to say, no, that's not right. That's not how it happened. Like I, I didn't complain about the food like that or da 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 would be to try to assert that the person was wrong to attack you and you were, you were right. As opposed to recognizing that if the goal is connection in a relationship, if the goal is hospitality, it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about how you made someone feel. One of our isms, to go back to that, was perception is reality. Mm-hmm. That if what we're trying to do is make people feel great, if they think we made a mistake and we want to tell them we didn't make a mistake because we don't want them to think that we made a mistake, like who cares? Just just do what you need to do to make sure the person feels good because that is really all that matters or at the very least it matters much more than who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, how can we be more like Brittany and Skylar? I don't know that metaphor. No, that Britney who used to work with you. Oh, Skyler, oh, oh, I thought you were making, I thought it was a Britney Spears thing that you were. No, 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 no. Because no. <laughs> we were just talking about James Corden. I thought we were in like the celebrity. Like, no, yeah. no. Yeah, no, yeah. How can, back. Like, how can we, how can we do that? Where it's like. WWBD. <laughs> yeah. It's not so much about giving. It, it's both giving and receiving. It's how we make others feel. And I think like your, um, your vision 10 years in the future where we realize that we are a world of hospitality. Like when you go back to, to prehistory or earlier ancient history, hospitality was what, that was the one thing that everyone could give, even when everyone had nothing, right? It was the one way to, it was like an uncompromising rite of passage um, and culture that you you could never break or or deny hospitality. And then obviously like the, the podcast is called defining hospitality. So I'll give you the question, like after all this and your books and conferences and all the people that you've impacted and your, your, your unreasonable, which I don't think is unreasonable vision of the future. How do you define hospitality? Yeah, I tell the story in the book back in the day when I, when I was a young manager, um, I was spending so much time trying to like, convince everyone else around me that I was smart enough or mature enough to be a manager. And so I took a lot of things very, very seriously things, but over time I realized I was probably taking too seriously. One of the things I, I, I was not very comfortable doing that first couple of years was interviewing people. Cause I was always like, wait, do they think I'm too young? Da, 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 da. And so I came up with all these like questions that I thought made me look smart. 
And that was my interviewing technique was to run through this list of questions as opposed to where I ultimately arrived, which is just spending time with the person, pretending it was like a first date, getting to know them. Do they have integrity, passion? Are they someone I want to spend time with? Mm. But back in the day when I did have those, um, those questions, one of them was what's the difference between service and hospitality? And the best answer I ever got came from a woman when I was managing at Tabla, who I ended up not hiring. And I can't remember why. And I feel foolish because it was such a good answer. But she said, service is black and white. Hospitality is color. I think the best way to talk about hospitality is, I love it. is comparing it to service. Service is, is what we do. The technical things that we do. Service is bringing the right plate to the right person at the right time with the most efficiency, all of that. Hospitality is how you make the person feel when you do it. I love it. Absolutely love it. And, and it's also coming up through so many of these conversations as well. Um, you know, speaking about interview, interview questions and then tying it into culture, I used to not be a good interviewer. Then I really, I developed a system and a process for it. And I actually enjoy it now, but I, I always struggle. I'm like, how do I make the questions about culture? And then what I realize is, and I think this can benefit everyone, aside from your normal interview questions, when you know what your values are, it's like, hey, Will, tell me about a time when you were caring. Tell me about a time when you were organized. Tell me about a time when you adapted and improved. And you just be quiet and listen. And then it's, hey, tell me more, tell me more. And I think that that is really what I'm picking up from you is values transcend everything. And the more that we bring those to the front and celebrate them and make them part of our lexicon, that unreasonable future that you may see is that much more attainable because it is about giving and receiving of hospitality. And I think we just need, we need more of that. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> you, this conversation is exciting me. <laughs> I mean, listen, like the whole thing about also like going into an interview or any conversation really with a list of like questions that you feel some obligation to get through is that it ends up not being a dialogue. And you see this all the time. This has happened in some interviews I've done about this book where someone asks me a question and I give an answer and it could be the beginning of an amazing exchange where we get to know each other and feel more connected. And then there's go to the next question, which is a complete like 90 degree turn from what we were just talking about. Conversations are an opportunity to connect and anything that we do needs to be in service of that connection. And if anything we do takes us further away from the goal, then that's something that we should be like really challenging and questioning and, and, and doing differently. Wonderful. Um, so as you think, again, that magic wand moment of your book is out there, you're, you're, you're helping the world get to that 10 year future. Um, what else is exciting you about the future? Huh. I mean, I'm a dad now. That so keeps me pretty excited about the future. How old? 18 months. Oh, wow. You're in it. I'm in it. And being a dad is this beautiful experience for me because so much of how to like live the most 
I don't know, fulfilled life in my view is, is the freshness of perspective that you can bring to the table on a daily basis. And watching her look at things with, like through the lens of everything being fresh and new has helped me to do the same. Because I think at a certain point when you've done life for long enough, or you've done something specific in life for long enough, you cease being able to approach it with a fresh perspective and that limits your creative capacity or your desire to introduce new ideas to, to people in the world at large. And so I'm excited to walk through life with a bit more of a beginner's mindset. I love that. Uh, in a lot of these conversations I'm having, I reference this one book. I don't know if you've read it. It's called Rookie Smarts, mm, but it's basically, oh, it's a really good one. I'll put it in the liner notes, but um, it's basically like what you're saying. It's embracing these fresh perspectives, the new kid, the intern, the new hire, the one who maybe you hired for culture, but they're coming from somewhere else. You hired for values. They have that fresh perspective is if you allow it to be, it's about allowing it to be can be so accretive to what everyone is trying to accomplish. Um, I know you're really busy getting this book out there. So I do wanna hit one question I ask everyone. Um, the 13 year old self, your 13 year old self, that was the first time you really experienced working in a restaurant, correct? Mm -hmm. I'm. You're gonna get that magic wand I gave you before is also gonna be a time machine. So you're going to be able to tap your shoulder and stand in front of your 13 year old self. The dad will is standing in front of the 13 year old will. What advice do you have for yourself? You know, I think I, I've, I've thought about this in the past and once upon a time, my answer would have been because like anyone you go through, I, I went through those awkward phases where I was insecure and this and that. And because of, you know, being insecure, having confidence issues at certain stages of life, I don't feel like I lived. I don't think I like, I got as much out of certain seasons in my life as I could have had I been more sure of myself. And so once upon a time, my answer would have been like, go back and tell 13 year old Will like, hey, dude, your life's gonna be awesome. Like get over yourself, like just believe in yourself, go out there and like, like shift into fifth gear and enjoy the ride. Um, but in hindsight, I mean, it's like in back to the future, if you go back and change anything, who knows what, how it would change what's happening now. And so one of the things that I love saying to people and I love hearing from people more than anything is, hey, you've got this. Just like the simple, subtle vote of confidence and belief and affirmation of the person. And so I'd probably just keep it that simple. Just go back. I'd buy 13 year old me something nice because I have more money than I did now. So I'd like, I'd buy 13 year old me like a new drum set or a bike or something. And then I feel like you've got this. <laughs> I feel like 13 year old me, that was when Back to the Future came out. So now I'm like thinking Marty McFly, 
Um, and the enchantment under the sea dance. Hmm. I need to watch that with my kids. That's a good one. I don't think that, I think that one's aged really, really well. Um, but Will, as you get this book out there and all of your new projects, I'm going to just tell you, which I think you know from the, just the confidence that I've experienced from you is you got this. Um, where, where can people, where's the best place? And I'll put it in the liner notes, but where's the best place for people to A, buy the book uh, for, for you uh, and B, uh, how can they learn more about your, your upcoming projects and things if they want to experience your version of hospitality uh-huh. um i mean buy the book wherever obviously like support local bookstores or just go on amazon if, if you don't care about doing that um, but i think the local bookstore is a dying art and i think any opportunity we have to support them is a cool one to i 100 percent agree and i will put that above the link to the to where to buy um as a reminder then- and then for me, I mean, Instagram's the best way to, to stay up with me, W. Gadara on Instagram. And I'm working on some fun stuff. Um, I am I'm excited about my next chapter. I, you know, I do have an 18-month-old daughter, and so I don't feel like I'm in a rush right now. Um, but, you know, I, I spent years deriving significant and genuine pleasure out of creating these little magical worlds and inviting people into them for two, three, four, in your case, six hours. And I want to try my hand at doing that same thing, but inviting them in for two, three, four days, Mm. because I'm pretty excited about the experience I could create if people trusted me with that much of their time. That's incredible. And we have to take that conversation offline because of all these amazing guests that I've had on, there's really been this cool community that's been built. And I'm trying to think of like, what's next there. Um, But I'd love to pick your brain on that one. Um, Anyway, I I know you got to go. This has been really wonderful for me. And I just want to say, how grateful and appreciative I am of your time at this very busy time. And also one other thing we'll put in the liner notes, the welcome conference, you got to check it out next year. Um, It's really incredible, Uh, incredible speakers, great thought leaders all come through there, but Will, I'm so grateful and appreciative of your time. Thank you. Thank you, man. I look forward to staying in touch. And also to Brittany and Skylar, wherever you are, I hope you hear this too, because like you're such a part of, you're like the kind of the thread that, you're a part of our story now, Brittany and Skylar. Yes. So this has to find their way to them. Um, and then also I want to thank our listeners because every week we've grown. It's so humbling. Um, because of that growth, we're able to get amazing guests like Will. And um, if this has changed your idea of what it's like to give or receive hospitality, the impact you want to leave, culture values, please pass it along. It's all been word of mouth. And we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.